You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Today we're trying something different and very special. We are broadcasting from a ballroom in Washington, D.C. at the uh, 21st Annual Advocacy in Action Conference that's being co-hosted by NATAP, which is the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers, and NADAC, which is the Association for Addiction Professionals. And um, over the course of the next hour, we have a group of people here who are going to um, talk with us about um, advocacy and um issues that are facing our profession, and so we're going to have a lively dialogue. Um, Bear with us because it's new technology for all of us. And I'd like to begin with our first guest, um, Dr. Ken Ramsey, who has worked in the alcohol and drug and prevention treatment services for almost 40 years, directing behavioral I'm sorry, directing hospital and freestanding chemical dependency and behavioral health programs. He is currently president and chief executive officer of Gateway Rehab, Center, which is located near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Under his leadership, Gateway has grown from a single-site 26-day program with 39 staff members to an internationally known drug and alcohol treatment facility with 600 staff serving nearly 1,700 people per day in 25 locations. Dr. Ramsey is the immediate past chair of the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. He serves as a member of the Pennsylvania Health Department. Um, Drug and Alcohol Adversary Council, and received um, the health care. I'm sorry. Dr. Ramsey, you have a a huge um, repertoire of services to the alcohol and drug profession, and I'm just wondering if you could share with our our, um, listeners over, over the Internet and here Exactly what um, what brought you to this profession, and, and talk a little bit about NATEP's involvement and why NATEP sees advocacy as something that uh, they need to support. Well, I've been in the field for <clears throat> nearly 40 years, and uh, got into it quite by accident. Um, I was um, involved with um, um, uh, working with a hospital hospital-based facility that was seeing a lot of um, men and women who had drug and alcohol problems, and and, uh, I became fascinated by it and wanted to learn more about it. So I I started um, uh, inquiring about a part-time position and ended up with a full-time position way back in uh, 1969. And I've been involved with it uh, with it since. I uh, I find it fascinating to understand and and change the lives of people who uh, are suffering from the disease of um, drug and alcohol addiction. And could you uh, share with our listeners a little bit about NATAP and NATAP's uh, involvement in the advocacy conference? Uh, NATAP, National Association of Addiction Providers, has been in existence for 30 years, and it consists of a um, um, uh, a number of probably 400 uh, members um, around the country uh, who provide uh, services, uh, treatment services, for people with this disease. 
recently, uh, the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers has um, uh, partnered with the uh, National Association for uh, Counselors to um, uh, look at the whole issue of advocacy and to seize every opportunity to improve the um, um, opportunities for treatment and life for people with this disease. Uh, this gives uh, NAATP uh, an opportunity to do something which we have talked about for for quite a long time and and now very actively with another national association can begin to uh, take action to uh, change policy uh, to improve um, um, the treatment opportunities for people uh, with this problem. And what what do you and, and um, the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers see as the primary issue facing us from a legislative perspective? Well, certainly one of the, the key issues uh, today is the whole issue of insurance discrimination, um, that insurance plans don't uh, treat those uh, with a disease of, of addiction in the same way as they treat um, people with other medical illnesses, and we need to achieve uh, parity. And uh, recently, uh, the House passed uh, House Bill 1424, which will allow uh, for that equal treatment of uh, people suffering from this disease. And uh, we look forward to working with the Senate uh, for Senate Bill uh, 558 uh, to provide uh, uh, equal um, parity. Um, in terms of uh, legislative um, issues, some of the things that we've learned today, um, there's a, a registry for um, insurance discrimination that Faces and Voices um, of America are, are um, hosting. So that, um, do you know of any other places where people who have been discriminated against who wanted addiction treatment but have been denied access to their benefits, what recourse do they have? Well, I think the Faces and Voices of Recovery, uh, the Legal Action Center in, in Washington, uh, are all playing a, a very important role. There are a number of state associations. For example, in Pennsylvania, there's a drug and alcohol service providers organization that has done uh, a tremendous amount of work in helping people with this problem um, uh, achieve um, um, treatment. Pennsylvania has... Uh, uh, an act, Act 106, on the books that uh, deals with a mandatory minimum for treatment for people with uh, addiction. And um, uh, the Attorney General's Office, the Insurance Commissioner, and, and others have, have opened their doors to help people uh, access care. Uh, so I, I just wanted to underscore the importance of the work of uh, Voices and uh, Faces of Recovery on the national level. Right. And I think it's also important for our listeners to understand that there there is widespread and rampant discrimination for people who, who have a benefit for um, addiction treatment, whether it be it in per, inpatient or outpatient, and continually get denied access to care, and that you do have a recourse and that there are places that you can go if, in fact, you feel like you've been denied access for um, medical treatment. Um, one of the other issues that we've been talking a little bit about is um, workforce development and the kind of the grain of our profession. I'm just wondering what um, NATAP's um, plans are in terms of supporting workforce development. And well, 
we recognize this as, as one of the key issues also in, in our field uh, from a couple of levels. One, we're looking at, at succession planning because many uh, of, of us, like myself, have been in the field for a long time and will be moving on, and we need to make plans for leadership development of uh, folks who will move into our positions. Uh, we need to develop mentoring programs. Uh, we need to explore the whole issue of uh, workforce uh, development because it's very difficult to attract and retain um, counselors, uh, nurses, uh, and other professionals in our field. And it's, a, it's critical that we uh, work together uh, to develop plans to, to do that. Um, and that perhaps some of them may, may focus on economic development and, and uh, make a joint effort with uh, NADAC and NAATP to determine our, our needs on a national level and uh, uh, to, to pinpoint a, uh, a, a, by number uh, the kinds of uh, training, the numbers of, of folks who will be needing the training uh, and to develop a plan of action for that. We're beginning to talk about that as well. Um, what, what happens if you join NATAP? Is it, a, is it for individuals? Is it for treatment programs? What are the benefits of joining? Well, it's uh, referred to as the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. So it's open um, to um, treatment providers from around the country. Um, and uh, the, the primary goal of um, NAATP is to improve uh, access to care uh, for our constituents, for our, our uh, patients, their families, um, and to uh, work with the issues that we all do as um, administrators of programs, uh, issues dealing with funding and advocacy uh, primarily. Okay, we have a question from our audience, and so um, Dr. Eugene Crone. Right, this is Eugene. Uh, I'd like to ask a question uh, concerning uh, the co-occurring. I think there's misunderstandings that when people come into treatment that they just want to, to come in and think that somehow they're going to be cured from their addiction, whereas co-occurring certainly means uh, treating the, the emotional and the mental health with the addiction. And I think that with the new laws uh, that's going to be passed for the parity bill, uh, I think it's very important that we educate the public and also people coming in for treatment that one of the basic things is that both have to be treated uh, together in treatment. Can, can you uh, answer any more on that or clarify it? I think those of us who are in the treatment um, field, and we, we see this at NAATP all the time, the, the majority of patients we see in, in treatment, particularly inpatients, um, are suffering from uh, dual disorders. Um, uh, at Gateway Rehabilitation Center, which I represent in Pennsylvania, we see approximately 1,700 patients per day. And uh, four, we have 400 inpatient beds, and the majority of patients in those inpatient beds uh, have dual disorders and, and, and need to be involved with medication-assisted uh, therapies, uh, which we have um, uh, been practicing for quite a long time. And 
also um, move these patients to uh, ongoing um, recovery, 12-step uh, programs. It's critical to treat both of these um, problem areas, which we attempt to do as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else have any questions for um, our panel? We will be coming back in just a moment, um, and we will take a break, and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you're looking for a better way to clean the air in your home or office, you need the all-new ozone light. It's as simple as changing your light bulbs. The ozone light looks like a normal spiral type of light bulb. It screws in most standard light sockets, but it's not a normal light bulb. It's coated with titanium dioxide. It's completely safe, but this unique coating kills most airborne bacteria, mold spores, and neutralizes odors. Just one light cleans the air in an entire room and lasts eight times longer than the normal light bulb. If you have smokers, if you have allergies, if you have pet odors, mold or mildew, you need the ozone light. It will wipe them out. And you have our word. If you're not satisfied with the way the ozone light cleans the air in your home, simply return it for a full refund. Here's the number to call to order. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. Save up to $100 now. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is a new experience for us to just kind of give you the visual. There are about 10 of us sitting around a phone, kind of like old-time radio, when there was one radio in the house and the whole neighborhood came and and, uh, listened to the radio. So that's kind of the visual you can um, put in your mind for our radio show today. We're trying something new. We're trying to make this available for a bunch of um, people to come in and talk about things that they feel very passionate about, and that is access to addiction treatment. services, access to prevention services, and also workforce development and our um, continual professionalism of of, uh, addiction. So um, for our next segment, we have on the phone with us um, Pat Greer, who is the current president for NADAC, the Association of Addiction Professionals. And I'm going to let Pat um, talk a little bit about her experience and where she has been in her career, and we will also be having Joe Deegan, who is the co-chair of um, our Political Action Committee. 
So, Pat, um, would you like to share with our folks? Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me here today. Did you have a question? I just wanted to take a minute to uh, tell everyone that uh, it's a great pleasure to be a member of the National Association of Addiction Treatment Professionals because it reflects a commitment to my profession, my fellow professionals who work every day to assist people in finding their way to recovery. Um, our association actually has 10,000 counselor members across the United States. And we invite anybody who's not a member to check out our organization at www.nadac.org in order to join. Um, thank you. Thank you, Pat. Um, could you just explain to our audience who's out there um, why you got involved with advocacy and what brings you to Capitol Hill every year? I'd be happy to. Um, I think it started in... Almost 10 years ago, I came to a conference here in Washington to help educate counselors on how to become advocates for our profession and the people we serve. Um, I'll never forget the experience of walking into my representative's office and trying to explain to him how important it was to have treatment available in our community. Um, he wasn't overly taken with the idea that addiction is a disease, and we have since met every year for the last 10 years, and I appreciate the opportunity to inform my representative that there is a need in his district, and that gives him the option to use me as a resource if he has questions about what's going on with substance abuse at home. Also with us, we have Joe Deegan, who is the NADAC um, Chair for the Political Action Committee. Joe, could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what the Political Action Committee is and why it's important? Sure. And thank you, Mary, for uh, letting me on the program today. Um, my name is Joe Deegan. I'm from West Virginia. I've been involved with NADAC for close to 20 years and uh, I've been coming to public policy conferences for close to 16 years. And... Uh, and my involvement now is as chair of the Political Action Committee, which is the fundraising arm of political efforts. Um, we're really the only or uh, PAC, national PAC, that exclusively supports uh, candidates committed to our issues of, of addictions and recovery and prevention uh, and treatment. And so, uh, you know, our biggest issues right now are, uh, are getting parity, and we want uh, advocates or our uh, legislators, representatives, senators who support that effort, and that's something that we, uh, we, we are able to give some financial assistance to folks who are running campaigns. And, and that's, uh, it's good that I, uh, to see that we are um, in the routine of what happens in American politics, and that's what we try to do is, is to, uh, to at least have some effort out there to, uh, to get the issues of addictions treatment and recovery covered. Joe, could you just explain for our audience um, what a political, political action committee does? And, for instance, what has NADAC done? Can you give an example of how NADAC has used their political action committee to um, help with policy? Well, um, some of us are also members of the public policy committee, but what we have done is we take recommendations from the membership uh, as to just exactly who we are to give money to. Um, we don't have a lot of money, but what we are able to do is use those funds to 
go to meetings uh, in D.C. where there are fundraisers, have our staff be able to go, contribute, to be at the table, to be active participants in the political process. I think that's what is uh, is important about having a pack. Is it gets you out there to be a player in in being able to uh, to go to different functions uh, and to demonstrate support for for the candidates that uh, are in the forefront of our particular issues. Pat, could you share with our audience exactly what are the issues that you will be um, talking to your representatives about tomorrow? Well, most importantly, we're going to thank every representative from my state, which is Texas, for voting for parity in the House. Um, and then we're going to encourage them that during the conference process, which is when the uh, Congress, the House of Representatives, has a conference committee to mediate a bill. So uh, what's happening is that the House passed the bill that we hoped for passage, and the Senate has not yet. So the Senate is actually going to meet with the House and try and determine which elements of the parity bill, which will give equal access to treatment to many more people in our country, uh, how to get that done. Um, so that's one of my primary concerns. The other concerns are that they not take away funding from the agencies that are in place to do prevention, education, treatment, and other uh, public service announcements uh, to our country. Joe, is there anything you want to add to that? in terms of what you're going to be talking to your folks about? For funding, because most of the funding for addictions treatment now is out of the public sector and not from the private sector. We work on the parity law to get the private sector up to where it needs to be, but we've got to have the block grant, and, uh, and that becomes a, a big issue every year. And workforce development now is a huge issue. Um, we've, we've had a major victory over the last week in the in the passing of the House of the Wellstone uh, Mental Health and Addiction Parity Law, and um, you've mentioned that there's two different um, versions of this. There's the House version and the Senate version. And Pat, I wondered if you could just briefly explain to our listeners the differences in the um, in the bill. Well, there's several significant differences between the House and Senate parity bills. Um, the first that we're addressing is that we want more clarity on the preemption of state laws. The House bill makes very explicit that it doesn't prevent states from passing stronger parity laws if they want to. And the language in this issue has been improved in the Senate, but it still is feared by some legal experts that this bill could override stronger state parity laws. Another concern we have is out-of-network benefits. In the House bill, we require insurance companies to provide the same degree of out-of-network coverage for addiction treatment that is provided for medical or surgical care. The Senate bill does not. With out-of-network parity, people, particularly in rural or areas where treatment is not available, will likely have difficulty accessing some types of care, such as specialization, resulting in the phantom networks that don't serve patients' treatment needs. The third concern we have is clarity on covered conditions. The House bill requires that insurance companies cover all disorders in the DSM-IV, which is a diagnostic manual <clears throat> used by medical and mental health professionals. The Senate bill does not. Using this manual as the universal standard ensures that insurance companies do not use arbitrary or non-scientific cr criteria to de determine the scope of addiction or mental health conditions that are covered. 
The fourth area where there's a difference is transparency. The House bill requires that plans make medical necessity criteria and reasons for any denials of reimbursement available to participants and beneficiaries upon their request, and the Senate bill does not. So it's really important that even though we have passage of the Wellstone bill, that, that the, that the um, challenge is not over, that we still need to get a consensus bill between the House and the, and the House of Representatives and the Senate. So we all need to continue to work with our senators and help them understand the differences between the two bills. So, so our work is not done, and we can do that here at the national level, but we also can do it at the local level um, very easily by um, going to our local representatives, going to our local senators, contacting their offices. Um, Joe, could you kind of explain to our listeners what they might be able to do at a local level? Because not everybody's here in Washington. And we will be right back with our, uh, one hour at a time from Washington, D.C. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show. For women, men, children, and families, Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, everyone, to our um, unique show today where we're kind of winging it, and I appreciate your patience, those of you who are out there listening to us. Um, our guest, uh, Joe, his phone went dead right before we went to commercial, so um, he's going to once again tell us how we can get active on a local level to help support um, these le- legislative issues. Yeah, I, th- I think um, what the important thing is is that you really do get to know 
uh, your representatives and your del- and your senators at the local level. That's where it all starts. Uh, having a relationship, taking them uh, to visits with your at your treatment centers. Uh, a lot of times, you will discover that 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 people have personal issues that they may broach with you as far as family members. Um, they want to understand the addictions issues uh, a lot more clearly. We've had that kind of experience uh, on our own, and um, and I just think that you you've got to make sure that you uh, write a letter to them when there's an issue that comes up. Thank them, uh, like for your house, the, the representatives who voted uh, in support of the parity bill. It's very important to write and thank them. Um, we are the people that can educate the representatives and the senators about the disease issue, like I just said. Um, read up on uh, NADAC and NATAP's government relations issues uh, and uh, go to the websites and see what the current public policy issues are. Um, sometimes you can send a letter to the editor. Get involved in local politics uh, at the grassroots level. A lot of times those people are the ones that become the folks that are, end up in D.C., and so if you know them personally when they're at home, uh, it's going to make it a lot easier. Uh, you may not even have to come to D.C. You can have constant communication when you get to know them well. And then it's reach out to other organizations and activists in, in your area. Don't stick to just the people that you know where you work. Get to know people in corrections, medication-assisted treatment, prevention, uh, public sector, hospital-based, private practice. Uh, those are all important folks that we have a network with so because we have the common issues and uh, and we're all trying to move in the same direction. And then uh, and with NADAC's website, uh, CAPWIS uh, is very important because you can uh, actually see what some of the issues are and, and uh, you can get directed. Uh, to uh, the folks who are your legislators makes it easier to make contact when you use those functions on the website. Thank you, Joe. Um, so now you, you are all empowered to go out and help, help us make a difference. Our next guest is Dr. Ron Hutzinger, who is the president and CEO of NATAP, the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. And we had Ken on earlier, who's um, our co-chair for the legislative um, committees for both organizations. And I'd like Ron to just um, get on and talk to us a little bit about NATAP and um, what exactly it is that you're hoping to accomplish during the conference. Well, Mayor, I'm really uh, delighted to be here and to be part of uh, this uh, very innovative and creative uh, show that you have. Um, the the uh, NATAP, the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers, is a trade association that represents uh, providers or organizations that deliver addiction treatment. Uh, NATAP was begun in 1978, so this year happens to be our 30th anniversary, of which we're, uh, as everybody is quite proud, that uh, an organization has survived the uh, somewhat turbulent years between then and, and, and now. Uh, so for 30 years, uh, uh, NATAP has represented the interest of those organizations that are delivering addiction treatment. One of the moderately unique things about uh, NATAP is that we primarily uh, represent the interest of those organizations um, in the private sector, which has meant that our members have primarily gotten their revenues through health care reinsurance, uh, health care reimbursement. 
and that makes uh, public policy and has made public policy a really important uh, component of what we're about. Uh, back in 1978, there was a group of, of uh, perhaps 10 individuals, 10 organizations that founded uh, NAATP, and their initial goal was to get Blue Cross Blue Shield of California to write a unified benefit in its plan that it offered uh, employers. Um, uh, thank goodness that happened. Um, doesn't mean that people can access uh, those plans all the time, but but uh, it got into plans, and it's certainly much more common now. So for NAATP, um, being involved in public policy has has been and continues to be very important. One of the things that uh, we have um, admired and one of the things that we think has been uh, Part of what we've been able to support has been the effort that NADAC has been involved in public policy, and much of the discussion here has been uh, been about that. And so uh, what NAATP and NADAC have set out to do is to create a unified department of public policy or department of advocacy. I'm not sure that we've actually settled on that, but uh, a single department that will service the two organizations. So it's not a merger of the two organizations. It's not some... Uh, behind-the-scenes takeover, it's rather combining of our resources and saying, how, how can this department service these two organizations? And hopefully, my dream, down the road, we can uh, entice some other organizations to join us as well, and that would allow us to attract the brightest and the best into this department, as we all, I think, need to make use of the brightest and the best as, as we attempt to articulate what we think is best uh, legislatively in the area of public policy. Thank you, Ron. And I'm sure Ron's going to correct me if I, if I have the number wrong, but I think there's something like 36 organizations that represent addiction interests nationally, and each organization goes to the Hill independent of each other to advocate for its own specific agenda, public policy agenda. So that's a very dilute um, group. So that basically what happens is is that, you know, you have 37 or 36 organizations coming into your office every day with, with a very diverse message, nothing gets heard. And the whole goal behind this is that we can have the, the best unification of our voice and if we could bring all those 36 organizations into one voice, how much stronger we, we would be and how much more our legislators and, um, would, would really have to listen to us. So that's the other part of this. Um, I think we have someone here with a question, so I'm going to hand the phone to her. Hi, Ron. My name is Melissa Shore, and I am the executive director of a brand-new website nonprofit for people in recovery from addictions. And um, one, one of my visions, dreams, is to help create a bridge between people in longer-term recovery and creating advocates out of them as well as um, helping with the issue of the graying of the workforce, as they say, um, because to me it's pretty natural uh, development, um, the wounded healer theory and all that. And I'm wondering if NATEP has considered utilizing some kind of program or service to, to do just that. So that's a, uh, an excellent question, and I mean, I think you raise um, a terribly important point. Is that um, well, for two points. One is that uh, you identify that that certainly the workforce issue is an issue that we're all taking a look at. 
some of us every morning in the mirror. But apart from that, uh, recognizing that uh, um, the, the workforce, the leaders of this field are, are, are aging. We need to figure out how to pass this passion along, um, this, this mission, this vision, whatever. We need to, to pass that along. The other piece is, that, is what you suggest is that we – we really need to tap into the technology and the innovation of persons like yourselves and others who who have the kind of creative energy to hook together what at first might appear to be diverse groups, but who has some things in common, and, and to be able to hook us to get that together. Uh, has has NATAP um, uh, utilized a specific vehicle? No. Uh, I'm not sure that NATAC has either, but I think that that's, that needs to be on the agenda. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a cliche, but we have to think outside of the box. Whatever has worked in the past, let's give thanks for that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what we're going to do in the future. And 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 this program is is an example of that. We wouldn't be doing, we wouldn't have done this program uh, five years ago, probably, and certainly not ten years ago. So so again, whatever worked five or ten years ago, uh, I'm ready to give thanks for that and celebrate that. But but look at persons like yourself who have who have access to technology and the kind of vision that can make it work. I I sometimes have ideas, I just don't know how to make them work. Yes. My apologies. The website's name is the secondroad.org all spelled out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think one of the important issues that we're also talking about here too is um, is how our how our profession has evolved, and NATAP has certainly been at the forefront of uh, leadership at the administrative level, at the management level, and I just wondered, Ron, if you would talk a little bit. You have a conference coming up, and just explain how NATAP is different than NADAC. So if you go to a NATAP conference, what what is what do you get versus if you go to a NADAC conference or the CCAD conference? Well, in a kind of a shameless way, one of the things you get is golf. Uh, if, you, if you come to a NATAP conference, you, you, uh, first of all, you just know it's going to be someplace where there's a very nice golf course, and that, of course, will be the case this year. We're in Indian Wells, California, which is the same thing almost as Palm Springs. The golf course that our outing is on is where the uh, LG Skins game was played over Thanksgiving this past year. So, um uh, not a not a, a bad place to be. Uh, having said that, what what part of what NAATP attempts to do is that it attempts to keep alive the vision of the leaders uh, in this field, um, the Dan Andersons, um, the Gordy Grimms, uh, the Nelson Bradleys, the the people who provided leadership to large and small organizations uh, early on when nobody else was providing leadership. Uh, and that's part of what we're about this year with our 30th anniversary is that we'll be publishing uh, history of NAATP, which is a particular uh, project of mine because I have this sense that we're going to lose our history. A, a lot of our early leaders have already died and their stories have died with them and we need to get recorded. And so part of what we we've, we have uh, contracted with uh, Bill White to write the history, William White to write the history of NAATP. And he has essentially uh, interviewed nearly 50 individuals and, and uh, we've kind of organized the history. It's voices of the past. Um, we'll, we'll kind of hopefully lead us into the voice of the future. And, and um, NAATP then kind of focuses its conference on networking, on um, round 
roundtable discussions for marketing people, roundtable discussions for business development people, roundtable discussions for CFOs, uh, so that we can exchange ideas, which is the other piece that we've attempted to, to be, is that uh, we're all in this together. There should be no high-class secrets, and that we need, we need to have an opportunity at least once a year to collaborate and to be colleagues with each other and to, and to share information. And so the, the presentations will be along that same line. They will be along the line of encouraging us to be successful in what we do, but at the same time recognizing that successful is not at the expense of each other. And we will be right back with our last segment of One Hour at a Time from Washington, D.C. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Autism One, a conversation of hope, hosted by Betsy Hicks, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable, and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Betsy offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, adult services, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcast each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Um, welcome back, everyone. This is the last segment of our um, one hour at a time for today. And for our last segment, we have with us um, two uh, longstanding members of NADAC, uh, Jerry Schmidt, who is the co-chair of our legislative um, and public policy committee, and we have John Lissy, who is our um, Mid-Central Regional Vice President. And Jerry has certainly had a lot of experience with um, advocating at the national level, and John has done a lot um, 
advocating at the state level and is, and is very passionate about um, advocating at the state level. So I guess I'd like to begin with talking with John, if he could just share with us some of his experience in advocating um, in the state of Ohio. Thank you for having me, Mary. The most exciting thing I think about uh, advocating in the state of Ohio has really been the collaboration between many organizations. Uh, NADAC and uh, the Ohio affiliate ODAC have worked very hard to build bridges with the single state authority, with the boards, with provider organizations, with people who serve uh, 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 recovering people in residential programs and uh, criminal justice program. So we have worked together on, on a number of projects, the most recent being workforce development, uh, to really look at how all of us working together can uh, can bring new people into the, the workforce and, and get them the kind of education that they need, uh, both in terms of uh, the, the training at a college level, but also the internships and the experiences they need to uh, to succeed in, in the workforce. Uh, the other things that we've advocated for uh, as a group have been uh, licensure, and, and about uh, uh, five years ago, uh, we were able to get a licensure bill passed in, in the state of Ohio, which we felt was really, really essential uh, for our profession to, to move and, and reach that next level. Thank you, John. Um, so much happens at the state level that uh, we all often don't fully realize how important our voice can be just, just on a local level. Um, Jerry is here with us, and he's going to talk a little bit about, in addition to advocating on Capitol Hill, this is a time where we can get together and um, acknowledge and support our legislators and people in our profession who are um, who have really gone to bat for us. So, Jerry, can you talk a little bit about um, how we recognize folks? Okay, yeah, thanks, Mary. It's uh, always uh, uh, good to be able to talk about those folks that work for us on, on, on the Hill. And every year at our uh, Advocacy and Action Day, we, we do a series of uh, legislative awards and we recognize um, our advocate uh, uh, of the year, as well as legislators that have been extremely helpful. And this year, uh, we're going to recognize um, two uh, legislators, one in particular who's going to be uh, retiring. Uh, Representative uh, Jim Ramstead from Minnesota, who helped uh, push through uh, HR 1424, uh, which is the Wellstone uh, uh, Equity and Treatment Act, and uh, we'll be recognizing uh, Representative uh, Ramstead tonight as the uh, Legislator of the Year. We're also going to have a returning favorite of ours that uh, has always uh, uh, been a, a extremely verbal and, and supportive. Of, of many uh, uh, addiction issues, and that's uh, uh, Representative uh, Patrick Kennedy uh, from from Rhode Island. Patrick uh, brings a, a real sense of uh, energy and uh, shares his personal experience. And it, it, you never know what you're going to what you're going to hear from uh, uh, Congressman uh, Kennedy when 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 he's there. But it's it's always exciting. He always uh, has a lot of uh, good stories to share, and his certainly his his passion for for what he does and, and his uh, the promoting the, the whole issue of, of recovery and the fact that, that that treatment works. So I mean, you know, having having both of these um, representatives there this evening is going to is is always a real treat for us. And and we'll we'll be recognizing uh, other individuals 
as well. And something that's extremely important, Mary, that we're going to be looking at uh, tomorrow is uh, an issue that's uh, not just come up over the past year or so, but has, has been an issue since uh, the conflict in the Middle East. And that's an issue around our returning veterans and uh, the need to, to have more uh, readily available treatment for them at the, at the community level. And uh, to that end, we, we had a subcommittee from the from the from the Public Policy Committee uh, of NADAC uh, put together a position paper on Veterans Affairs issues, and tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock, uh, as, you, as you're aware, uh, Patricia Greer, Greer, our uh, president, is going to deliver oral testimony to Congress uh, uh, on a panel with uh, other addiction experts on uh, the issue of uh, substance abuse and comorbid disorders and uh, comprehensive solutions. Um, to a complex problem with uh, our returning veterans, and this this is ex- this is extremely uh, important for us and, and and timely. So, and then also I'd, I'd forgotten to mention uh, at, at our dinner this evening, uh, uh, Danny Davis, who uh, is uh, from uh, a representative from Illinois, will be. Um, Honored as, as well this evening. So, you know, we've, we've got we've got a lot going on over the next couple of days. So we're we're really excited about uh, this. Plus, you know, as, as we've been talking all all afternoon here, is about the the new relationship that that we have uh, with NATAP and partnering with them uh, on our legislative and, and government relation issues. I think now is the time for. Um Great optimism for our profession and for the synergy that's happening between organizations and with our legislators. Uh, more and more people are feeling comfortable talking about the fact that there's a disease of addiction exists within their family or that they've experienced it themselves. And I would really invite you to um, take a moment, email your legislators, thank them, ask them to support a unified parity bill. Um, talk with them about insurance discrimination and the need to end that, and just in general to end uh, discrimination against people with addiction and substance use disorders in general. Um, they're denied access to treatment. They're, they have policies and procedures that prohibit them from getting um, care when they're in the throes of their, their addiction. That's when they're actively using and um, challenge the profession and challenge our legislators to come up with um, more innovative and um, effective modes of treatment. One of the other things that we would just like to um, end with is just talking also a little bit about how important it is to be able to um, to know what these issues are. So, um, Jerry, could you just talk a little bit about why it's important to be um, an advocate and and why you are an advocate? Yes, Mary, thanks. Um, obviously, uh, when, when you're looking at advocacy from uh, whether it's at uh, a local level, your city or county government, state level, or on a national level, uh, what, what's important is, is, is knowing what, what you bring to the table and uh, being in the trenches day in and day out providing uh, clinical services uh, or administrative services or developmental services around addictions treatment and the provision of that care. Uh, we are the uh, we are the specialists, and we we need to we need to just bring that information to the table for our legislators and help them understand what the issues are. But we also need to be, I think, cognizant of the fact we need to be able to present both sides of that issue. And uh, uh, 
show show the strength of ours through the weakness of of the other side is 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 a critical aspect in in terms of advocating. And if we don't advocate, we don't have a, a group out there. The recovering community, uh, oftentimes, uh, are some, somewhat handicapped by it, and we become their voice. But we also need to share our stories as well, and use a lot of the coalitions and other supports that are out there to to promote the issues around recovery, showing the treatment works, using the research that's out there uh, as a as a as a basis and a foundation for showing what what and how. Treatment works. So, I mean, being able to advocate and and being able to, to be that voice and uh, to go to the hill, they they do want to hear what what we have. And it and it's not just at the national level. A lot of folks get get stuck with you know I can't come to D.C. and do it. But you can begin advocating even on uh, the local level when it could be around uh, tax initiatives for for having money earmarked at a local level uh, that goes to. To, to treatment issues or on a state level uh, legislation that affects uh, the provision of care within uh, the state in which you lead, live. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways that uh, an individual can advocate from the from the local level all the way through the national level. Um, for those of you who are in recovery and feel like that um, to advocate is a violation of a tradition or um, concern around your anonymity, we will be having a representative from Faces and Voices in Recovery on in the future to talk a little bit about that sensitive issue and how you can use your own story to um, affect policy change. And I'd like to invite Pat Greer, the NADAC president, back to share, to share with us some final thoughts. Thanks, Mary. Um, it was interesting about eight years ago when we first started doing advocacy work in our local chapter in Texas. We invited Congressman, Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson to come. What? Um, she told us at that point that millions of things happen in Congress every year and that if we wanted attention to our interests and our concerns, that we really had to keep coming back stronger and stronger, repeat our message, reframe our message, but make sure that we continue to bring our message to the congressional representatives that take care of our business. Um, that's a really important message. So we're going to keep coming back. We hope that you will keep coming back as well. And um, we invite you to be active and help frame the addiction profession of the future. So we'll see you next week where we will have um, Dr. DiClemente uh, talking about stages of change. So thank you all for hanging in there with us this week. It was a little disjointed, but um, it was fun for us, so hopefully it was fun for you. Thank you. you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.